All right, podcast listeners, um, things are going to be a little bit different this week. Uh, if you noticed that the last two weeks we didn't have recordings up on the website, it's not because there was some sort of malfunction. Um, we just, with our Easter sermon and our Good Friday sermons, um, we didn't have, uh, or Palm Sunday, I should say, Palm Sunday and Easter, we didn't have um, services that really lent well. They weren't traditional um sermons. They were kind of more interactive worship experiences. And so that didn't really play well to um, sermon podcasting. They were great experiences, but, but didn't, didn't translate. And so we didn't record those. And then this week, we actually didn't, uh, the, the recording got messed up for Ecclesiastes chapter 10 as we're back into our Ecclesiastes series. And so you're actually joining me in my apartment um, and we're going to kind of re- go over the sermon again. This will not be in front of a live audience this time. It's just you and me. Um, but we're going to kind of work through it, and we'll see if this works. We might do it again. There's going to be times when the sermon doesn't get recorded, and that happens. So we'll kind of work through it together. We just wanted to make this available um, for those. I know there are many who um, who listen uh, through iTunes and uh, the podcast. So we're Ecclesiastes chapter 10 this week. We've got two more weeks um, before we'll be concluding the series. And if you remember back to chapter 9, um, Paul said that, or Solomon rather, said that death is unavoidable and, and life is unpredictable. Okay, cheery Solomon, he says, everyone's going to die. And even in the meantime, in this life, you're not going to be able to predict or control what happens. Um, but it's not hopelessness for us. In fact, there's, he says there's nothing better to do than simply trust in God's sovereignty, that let God be God and enjoy the gifts that he's given us today because they come from his hand. And what happens is if we do let God be God, we're going to begin to obey him and begin to walk according to his principles. You know the verse in Proverbs 9 um, that says, what is at the beginning of wisdom? It's fearing the Lord. That's where wisdom starts. And if we see him rightly, if we elevate him properly, what's going to happen is we're going to begin to walk in wisdom. And in chapter 10, Solomon is going to show us the danger of not fearing God, of not seeing him rightly, of not elevating him properly. In chapter 10, he uses the word fool or folly nine times, which makes the theme pretty obvious, and it's what we call the legends of the folly, kind of a play on word from the Brad Pitt 1994 drama. Um, He's going to give us three examples, three legends of foolishness or folly um, to show us what not to do. People who don't fear God and therefore don't walk in wisdom. And it's a hard text. This is a hard text for us to work through because he says, essentially, dumb people do this and wise people do this. And to be honest, I found myself identifying a lot more with the fool than with the wise guys. And one of the easiest sermons I've ever um, give, uh, one of the easiest um, times I've ever had of finding personal illustrations um, in a sermon about foolishness because, you know, I know I've walked that road many a time. So verse 1 Solomon says this, he says, As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So Solomon, he lays this lovely little analogy on us. It's it's kind of where we get the popular saying, a fly in the ointment. Um, And I was joking, you know, that 
and say, hey, you know, I deal with this all the time. You know, you open, you know, open that bottle of perfume, a, a Chanel number five, and there's this decaying horsefly in your ointment, and the whole bottle gets ruined, right? Um, just because of that one little fly. And his point is, a lifetime of living well can be ruined by a little bit of folly. And, and haven't we seen this too many times? You know, one little word, a momentary lapse in judgment. You let your guard down for just a few seconds, and a lifetime of building a good reputation can be tarnished. But we often don't get this, and we think, oh, it's not a big deal, right? It's just a little thing. It's just a little flirtation at the office, a little relationship, a, a little money skimmed off the top, a little edge in the tone of my voice, um, a little push, just a little experimentation in the wrong area. But Solomon, he's going to lay out for us in these legends of the folly, he's going to warn us and say one little slip can spell big disaster. And then verse 2, he says, The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Now, especially in an election year, I can't believe the Republican Party hasn't grabbed a hold of this verse, right? The wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. And But what he's really saying here is the fool tending to the left, the wise to the right. In the ancient world, the right hand represented power and honor, um, while the left side represented weakness or rejection. Many considered the left side unlucky. In fact, our word sinister um, comes from the Latin root on the left hand. Hand, so evil, weakness, dishonor. Um, and as a Southpaw, I don't really appreciate this discrimination, Solomon. Like my people, my, my left-handed people, we have rights too, um, and, and we have lefts. But his, his point is, listen, the, the fool has no wisdom in his heart. So he's going to gravitate toward the wrong thing, the left thing, the thing that gets him in trouble, the dishonorable thing, the evil thing. And he says, the fool... Verse 3, even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. He says this, the fool makes his foolishness obvious for everyone to see, and you can see it in the way he walks down the road. Now, now I don't know, you know what he's picturing, somebody running into things, um, someone like I pictured the wily coyote just, you know, the fallen off that cliff and doesn't realize he's gone off the cliff yet. Just this calamity central and... Um, I, I think for us, it's a lot easier to see someone else walking down a road in a manner that shows how foolish they are, isn't it? Like you can watch that person and you go, man, they are headed for destruction. They are headed um, toward nothing but harm for themselves and others. And, and we're just shaking our heads at them. But don't we need to make sure that people aren't shaking their heads at us? Because usually the one that's walking in foolishness is the last one to clue in. And we can see it in others. But we need to make sure that we're not the ones walking down the road. And, and so Solomon here, he says in these first couple verses, A little foolishness can damage an entire life of wise living, since foolishness directs people down a path of harm and destruction. And now he's going to jump into some, some detail. The three kinds of fools, the three legends of the folly. The first one's the foolish ruler. We'll see this in verses 4 through 7. There's the foolish ruler, the foolish worker, and the foolish talker. First, the foolish ruler. Um, we know that the more leadership you're given, the more responsibility you have. Um, anyone who's a parent understands this. Or maybe at work, you've been given people who work underneath of you. Or in a ministry at the church, um, 
And, and what happens is the more more responsibility you have with that leadership, the more Satan's going to try to key in on you. Because if he can bring you down, it becomes a domino effect. And the higher you are, um, the farther the fall, the more people you can bring down on the way. And if there's anyone who needs wisdom, if there's anyone who needs wisdom, isn't it the ruler of a nation, an entire nation? I mean, Satan's going to be keying in on them. And Lyndon Johnson, um, our former president, Lyndon B. Johnson, he said, a president's hardest task is not to do what's right, but to know what's right. You see, it's, it's one thing to see two choices and to know this is the one I need to do. I just need the courage to do it. It's another thing to have the wisdom to even know what's right in, in the first place. And, and so here Solomon gives us two examples of unwise rulers who didn't know what was right or didn't walk in it, at least. The first one's an angry ruler. First foolish ruler is an angry ruler. Verse 4 says, If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. And the picture here is a ruler who is easily angered, and they take their anger out on those that they're ruling. Now, this is foolishness. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. So, in other words, the leader who is easily angered is easily attacked and ruined. Because if you have a short fuse, it's going to be easy to bring you down. And so Solomon's word, it's actually being spoken to those who are being ruled by that short-fused leader. And he says his word to them is just chill. He says, do not leave your post. Just stay where you are and be calm. In fact, he says calmness can lay great offenses to rest. And this kind of echoes Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath. And again, Proverbs 25, um, he says he says this, um, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A gentle tongue can break a bone. It's an interesting word juxtaposition there. In other words, when your boss, when your parent, someone in, in a government position, who, whoever it is, lashes out at you in anger, he says, don't escalate it by returning in like kind. Rather, diffuse the situation with calmness and seek peace. Now, you know how and why the believer does this? How and why we respond with peace and calmness and not returning the push that you received. It's in Romans 13, Paul says to us that God has placed those leaders in our lives. He has sovereignly appointed them, every single leader, the parent, the boss, everyone. And ultimately, we don't have to freak out because he's in control. And, and while we're here, this is an election year and a crazy one at that. But let's remember that in this time, there's actually only one king who's sitting on the throne. And it's not a Republican, it's not a Democrat. One ruler of all rulers, one big L lord over all little L lords. And we don't have to be <clears throat> afraid. We can stay where we are. We don't have to flee the country and become an immigrant. Um, we, we can trust God. And, and really what we're called to do is pray for our leaders. Pray that God may impart some wisdom on them. And really, as First Timothy, Paul prays, he says that we might live, pray for rulers, that they, that they might rule in a way that we can live peaceful, quiet, godly lives. Let's pray that. Let's pray that for our leaders and not freak out.
So the angry ruler, but then there's also the, the weak ruler. Verse four was the headstrong leader, but here in verses five through seven, we're going to see the head weak leader. Solomon says, there's an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Solomon says, he, this kind of fool, foolish ruler, puts the wrong people in charge. The fool is is sitting at the CEO's desk while the rich or the wise person is in the janitor's closet. Um, the high to the low and the low to the high. Now, why does he do that? I think strong leaders surround themselves with strong people while weak leaders surround themselves with weak people. Now, sometimes this is laziness. Like, we don't want to get on our knees. We don't want to seek God's will. We don't want to wait on him. We don't want to put in the time and the work. And so we just kind of pick the first application on, on the stack and hire him. Or we just, you know, the first person who looked at us with googly eyes, we marry him. Um, we just kind of go with the flow and, and take whatever hand is dealt us. But, but also, and I think on a deeper level, this is insecurity. That if you're not confident in your leadership, you're not going to place confident people around you and they will make you look bad. So, so here's, here's my application. Um, be careful who you surround yourself with. See, again, the fool doesn't, if, if you surround yourself, if you're, if you're weak and you're insecure, those, those other weak and insecure people aren't going to call you out. They're not going to point out your weakness as a leader. And they're just going to kind of go with it. But, but I think we need to be careful in the friends that we choose, the spouse that we choose, the people that we work for, or the people who work for us, the, the, our circle of influence. We need to surround ourselves with people who love us enough to challenge us, to sharpen us, to, to point us to Jesus. Right? Not, don't just pick an ear tickler, not just somebody that, 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 that you want to hang out with just because they make you laugh or you have some sort of superficial common interests, but, but find someone who's not afraid to point things out to you. And, and I've found, especially when I'm not walking with the Lord, it's such a great temptation to hide from those I know who will detect it in me and call me out on it. But it's so much sweeter and it's so much more beneficial to be in a situation where iron is sharpening iron. So there's the, the foolish ruler, the angry and the weak. And then number two, there's the foolish worker, verses 8 through 11. Now, this next part, it feels more like an episode of America's Funniest Home Videos. I picture Bob Saget's high-pitched voice in the background as we read this. He says, whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. So... Solomon here, he's saying that there's disagreements as to what his point is. Some argue that he's just saying when you work hard, sometimes things still go wrong, which, which does match some of his message in Ecclesiastes, where the meaningless and arbitrary nature of life occurs, that rain falls on both the wise and the fool. But the context here is clearly foolishness. And I think what he's saying is, is these people have suffered because they are foolish, um, that they fell into the pit because they weren't paying attention, that they were hacking away at the wall and they got bit by a snake because they didn't slow down. They dropped stones on their toes because they were rushing and they, they were chopping a log and they caught one hitting it, 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 their, their noggin on the way back because they didn't slow down and pay attention. Now, 
Trust me, I've been a youth intern, I've been a basketball coach, I've seen plenty of work projects with adolescent fools who are hurt by their own foolishness. And I can attest, even in my own examples, that this has happened. Because then in verse 10 he says, um, If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. And this is what I think he's saying. The illustration I have is when I was, when I was a, a missionary training years ago, uh, my roommates and I had to cook meals together. And the one meal that I was tasked with was, I was, I was cutting tomatoes. And um, for most people, this is a pretty easy thing to do. For me, it was terrifying. And I was staring at these tomatoes like I had to defuse a bomb. And so I had this weapon in my hand that I'm like, all right, let's get after it. So I start going to town on these tomatoes and it gets ugly, right? And I, they're not cutting easier. And I find that the harder I push, the more these tomatoes just become ketchup, right? It's just a mess. The sweat is flying. I'm, I'm giving it the old college tribe, somewhat literally. And I look up and my roommate is just like staring at me. Just dumbfounded. Like I've got like 13 eyeballs. And, and he gently takes the knife from me and flips it so that the blade is side down. And just kind of quietly walks away. And here's Solomon's point. Work smarter, not harder. He says, sharpen the axe, fool. Don't just give it more elbow grease. And then in verse 11, it says, if a snake bites it um, before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Um, snake charmers were common at this time. Snakes don't have eternal external ears. So more than the music, it was the man's disciplined actions where he would sway and he would stare and kind of hold the snake's attention and keep it under control. This kind of work is insane. Um, Solomon speaks of the man who didn't slow down, who didn't make sure the snake was charmed. And to literally add insult to injury, he's not only bitten by a deadly snake, but the crowd's like, well, that was lame, and walks away without paying him. So this poor fool is not only bitten by a snake, no one pays him. And he can't even afford his hospital bills. Poor fool. But the common denominator here that I see in these verses, in this comedy of errors, um, is, is, is that we often use our hands but not our head. That we work hard but not smart. And the immediate application is simply slow down, oper especially when you're operating dangerous tools, and, and pay attention. Think before you act. But I, I think there's a spiritual application here, too, to working smarter, not harder. Um, we have a leadership retreat coming up this weekend where we're going to be planning for the upcoming year and kind of our vision for the church. Um, elders and staff and leaders are going to be there. And the first night, the first night, and many people would see this as a waste of time, but we're going to be doing nothing but praying. The whole night is dedicated. We're not going to say a word about planning. We're simply going to pray. And the reason, the reason that we're doing this is because, listen, I don't want this church, I don't want Peninsula Grace going in my direction or the staff's direction, or the elder's direction, that I want it to be our plans and our work. If it's going to be work that lasts, it has to. It has to be God's direction. It has to be His plans. It has to be a work done in His Spirit. And so often we get so busy doing things for God that we don't slow down to make sure it's His plan. And it's His power. Are your decisions bathed in prayer? Is your work bathed in prayer? If not... These things are going to be your decisions, work done in your power, and there's no eternal value. And you're just going to end up with ketchup, in it, falling into a ditch or bitten by a snake. And what separates the wise and the fool is the fear of the Lord. We must start with him. Are, are you taking things to the Lord in prayer? 
foolish ruler, the foolish worker, and then finally the foolish talker. Verses 12 through 14, and then we'll skip down to 20. Verse 12 says, in the New Living, wise words bring approval, but fools are destroyed by their own words. Fools base their thoughts on foolish assumptions, so their conclusions will be wicked madness. They chatter on and on. No one really knows what's going to happen. No one can predict the future. So if I could kind of summarize that in, in my own words, I would say, he says, the fool talks too much, thinks that they know everything, but in the end, their own chattering destroys them. I remember being a parent, uh, I was at a parent-teacher conference. I had been teaching at Cook Inlet Academy for like 12 minutes. Um, I really wasn't even supposed to be there. I don't know, I don't know exactly why they hired me. I wasn't a qualified teacher. Um, but I thought I knew everything, man. And I, instead of letting the actual teachers talk, you know, the ones with experience and actual certifications, I just kept giving advice and feedback to the students and just kind of dominating the conversation. And this, this one girl who hadn't been doing her homework, um, her family members were there at the conference and they were getting on to her about it. And I kept babbling on and on. And I said, yeah, you need to, you really need to listen to your grandma. You need to listen to her grandma. Well, her grandma, air quotes, looks at me and says gently, Dear, I am her mother, but I, I do look like I could be her grandma. And I wanted to die. Fools are destroyed by their own words. They chatter on and on. But James 3, it says, if we could control our tongues, and, and this is crazy, if we could control our tongues, we could control ourselves in every other way. He says the tongue, although it's so tiny, it can corrupt your entire body, set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. These are harsh words referring to our tongues. And, you know, many say that the tongue is the strongest muscle in your body, and it's close. Um, there's many different ways to measure um, strength, but per pound, it's actually the masseter uh, muscle. It's the main muscle in your jaw, but isn't the point the same? Our mouth pulls a lot of weight, and we must be careful what we say. Verse 20, Solomon, he gives us an example here of, of, of um, an illustration of how the tongue can harm us. He says, never make light of the king, even in your thoughts, and don't make fun of the powerful, even in your own bedroom. For a little bird might deliver your message and tell them what you say. See, can you relate to this? Have you ever been busted? Like, have you ever been running your mouth and just got busted? The thing that you were saying, that the, the, you were making fun of somebody, you were gossiping about them, and eventually it got back to them. I think this might be this message, this, uh, this verse, where it says a little bird might deliver your message and tell them what you say. I think it might be where we get, you know, a little bird told me, which means the, gospel, gospel, the gossip spread. I, I doubt it's a Disney movie and the bird is actually relaying a message. Our 2016 language is, is, is like when you're really mad at Stacy, and so you go and rant to her, um, rant, you go to rant about her to a friend, but in like your blind rage, <clears throat> instead of texting about Stacy, you actually send it to Stacy. Okay, now Stacy gets it, and now Stacy's mad at you. Um, but the convicting thing here is, and it's, it's the one, it's, it's, it's one thing, it's hard enough to, to not say these things, to not gossip, to not slander, to not say, um, to not speak ill of another. But Solomon, he says, the wise man or woman doesn't even make fun of people in their thoughts or in their own beds. 
It doesn't even enter your mind. Because I will confess, at times I lay in bed and I, at night and I think, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, but not Bob's. Lord, just kill Bob. Would, would you please just kill him dead? I can't stand Bob. And make that death painful. Right now, disclaimer, I don't actually hate any Bobs. But you know what I've found? Uh, because out of the overflow, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Okay, the words do have damaging effect, but the deeper problem is that we thought those things in the first place. They shouldn't even be in our minds. We shouldn't even be thinking about these people in this manner. But we are told in the, in the, in the, in the New Testament to take every thought captive. And you know what I've found? When Bob and his nasty ways pop into my head, I pray for Bob. I pray for Bob because it's a lot harder to be a hater when you're praying for someone and asking God to help them. And I think James 1.19 summarizes this so beautifully. Um, Solomon's point that he's making here in chapter 10. He says, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The foolish ruler is quick to anger, quick, quick to surround himself with other fools. The foolish worker is quick to act without thinking or praying first. The foolish talker is quick to speak and bring ruin on themselves. But instead, he says, don't be like them. Be quick to listen, which I believe implies, I mean, there's two people we need to listen to. Number one is the Holy Spirit and his prompting and leading. Okay, pray about it. Lord, Lord, what do you want me to say here? What do you want me to do here? How do you want me to react here? I think if we slow down and pray about that and and wait for the Spirit to lead us, we're going to be a lot less prone to run into things and do things foolishly. But I think it also means to listen to others. Love, love considers the needs and feelings and situations of others. And if my mindset is, what is this person? Where is this person coming from? We're going to be a lot slower to speak and to be angry. And we're going to slow down. We're going to listen to them and love them well. But in, in the, then the three verses later here, James goes on to say in verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, he says, you are only fooling yourself. So here it comes full circle. Paul says the fool, James rather, I always wanted to be Paul. James says the fool listens to God's word, but doesn't obey it. But the wise man hears his word, believes his word, and then acts in obedience. See, our small little tongues can destroy lives, our own and other people's. And when we laugh about foolishness and we tell, tell, tell silly stories and whatever, but it's serious and it's destructive, the little foolish decisions in our lives can have eternal consequence. So here's my application for us. Don't leave here, don't leave listening to this message and say, yeah, man, Solomon's right. I need to be careful who I hang out with Oh, I need to be careful about the words that I'm saying, the thoughts that I've been thinking. And then I need, I haven't been on my knees seeking his direction, his will, his plans. You're right, Justin. Amen. I need to do that. But then we stop with the listening. Don't stop with the listening. That's for fools. James says wisdom obeys by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit Take a step. But but here's the warning. And here's what I don't want you to do. I do not want us to think the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is not 
doing things better. We could spend a lifetime of making morally sound decisions and not see that last for eternity. The only way we please God is by faith. And so the call here, ultimately, if you want to be wise, if you want to walk to the right, if you want to please God, it starts by faith in Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. And when we see him, we elevate him properly. We see him rightly. Everything else in our lives is going to fall into place. So we don't want to, otherwise, otherwise we can do good things in our own power. That's just behavior modification. And it doesn't actually make us more like Jesus. And we don't love people well in that. So my call is for us to love Jesus. And as we love Jesus, we're going to start to become like Jesus. We're going to start to treat other people like Jesus. And so as we love him, we're going we're gonna to want to hang out with other people who love him. Or we're going to hang out with people who don't love him with the hopes of, of, of showing them Jesus and that they fall in love with him. And the thoughts that we're thinking, the, the words that we're saying as we love Jesus, they're going to start to be the words that Jesus would say. The very life of Jesus in us is going to start talking through us. And we're going to, of course, be on our knees for his will and his plan because we realize it's, it's, it's his life in us going to be the only thing worth living and showing this world. So why don't we, why don't we pray together? Father, um, we're all in different places. We all have different situations, but we all need to see you rightly. And Lord, my, my prayer for us is that we would fall in love with your son, that we would see him the way you see him as our savior, as our Lord, as our life as the beginning of wisdom. In in Christ Jesus, Colossians says, that lies all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. May we find him satisfying. And as, as we see him, we will become like him. And we will become men and women who walk wisely, who think about the people that we're setting around ourselves, who are slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen listen to your Holy Spirit, and think about other people before we act. And God, I just pray, just like James says, that we would pray for wisdom, but not like those who are doubting. But if we ask for wisdom, we'll receive it. But that wisdom starts with seeing God the way he should be seen, and he's most fully seen in the person of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.